0: Hi there, I'm Lalitha Krishnan and you're listening to Season 4, Episode 29 of Heart of Conservation. I bring you stories from the wild that keep us all connected with our natural world. It's so easy to book a ticket and fly out to any destination, but imagine what it takes to make a place, especially a high altitude desert in the Himalaya, sitting at around 11,980 feet, viable for tourism, to be able to involve community, to be constantly successful, and get world recognition for it. I am speaking to Ishita Khanna, who manages to do just that. Ishita is a brave and humble hero in my books. One of the pioneers of responsible tourism in Switi, Ishita is also known as a co-founder of Switi Ecosphere, which is a multi-award-winning ecotourism enterprise located in Gaza, in the Spiti and Lahol district of Himachal Pradesh. Having visited Switi several times, I'm constantly drawn back, but obviously I'm not the only one who thinks it's a go-to place. We all know revenge tourism is a thing, right? But is tourism taking a toll despite the best travel practices? That's what I'm here to find out. Do check out the Spithy Ecosphere website for their diverse travel experiences. Now let's find out how it's done right. Ishita, thank you so much for joining me on Hearts of Conservation. It's lovely Uh, to be
1: here, Lalita. Thank you for calling me.
0: My pleasure. So you've been in Spiti since 2002, and the sea buckthorn of all things, which is a superfood berry, led you to Spiti the first time over 20 years ago, and you've been there ever since. So tell us about that and how Ecosphere came to be. Yeah, it's been quite a journey. You know, I came to Spiti,
1: like I mentioned, in about like you know, like you mentioned right now, I came here first in the year 2000. And I was working with the state government of Himachal Pradesh at that point in time, and had come to assess one of their projects, which is when I discovered about this super berry, Sibukhan. It was it had hardly been discovered at that point in time. There was very little research or work, and I was really in awe. China had done lots of work on it, and uh, you know just felt that you know that India was losing out, and uh, there was so much that could be done as a livelihood source as well as you know it's it's got immense medicinal as well as ecological benefits this berry and so that's what really you know uh got me to spiti and i started working here in 2002 mm. and uh yeah so that's that that was what was started my whole um you know <laughs> journey in spiti and never really thought i'd be spending so many years here but then you know once you start living in a place you start Understanding the place, understanding the people, understanding the challenges that are faced there, and uh, one thing led to another, and I'm yeah I'm still here almost twenty years hence.
0: Hard to imagine; <laughs> it's a long time, yeah, but such yeah. a fruitful time. Yeah. So, Ishita, what yeah. was it like then, and uh, what has changed in terms of infrastructure, tourism? You know, any what are the changes?
1: Spiti was a very, very remote valley, you know, when we when I first came here. And uh, in terms of road infrastructure, it was bare minimal, you know, Uh, it was you were there two access routes into Spiti one is via Shimla and one is via Manali. And the Shimla route was known as the world's most dangerous route. And the Manali to Spiti road is still perhaps the world's worst route. So you know, it was very difficult to get into Spiti. It's easily a two to three day journey from places like Delhi or Shimla just to get into Spiti. So mm-hmm. as a result, you know, very and, and because it was really cut off in a remote part of Himachal, very few people knew about the existence of Spiti over 20 years ago. Now, of course, it's on the on the tourist map It's and it's on the radar of every traveler, domestic traveler in India. But back then, very few people knew about Spiti when I first started working here. People thought it was a different country that I was working in. <laughs> sure. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, and and back then there was no internet. There was hardly any phone connectivity. So, yeah, I mean, infrastructure was very limited. So now, of course, 20 years, hence a lot has changed. The Shimla road now is a lot better. So it's easy to come in and out, slightly easier. It still takes quite a bit of time. And now we have finally have internet in Spiti. just came in 21. Uh, almost 20 years hence working without internet has been quite a challenge. So yeah, a lot has changed. A lot of the tourism infrastructure has really developed in a large way. When I first came here, there was just one guest house. You know, and now there would be in Casa this is and now there would be over a hundred guest houses. And every house would be now a homestay. You know, so a lot has changed since then. Right.
0: And um uh... You know, and do you see a difference in the type of tourists coming to Spiti, uh, especially post-pandemic? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's something,
1: um, you know, that has changed. And I think most of people in the tourism, you know, anybody who's associated with tourism or working in the tourist industry uh, are now a bit baffled as the kind of tourists that is coming in. You know, there is uh, it's changed a lot post-pandemic, you know, immediately after the second wave, of course, we had kind of like a revenge tourism coming in. You know, and I think people were kind of like holed up in their houses for a long time, and so we had a lot of boy gangs coming in uh, on kind of a revenge kind of a thing, and uh, of course, not the most um, you know culturally sensitive kind mm-hmm. of tourists. But now, uh, even now, there's you know before COVID, we had a very uh, diverse set of traveler coming in, and now that has changed. So we're not getting you know the kind of tourists that we were getting in earlier. So, yeah, Mm -hmm. so we've seen a huge change in the kind of traveler that's come in, you know, post-pandemic. And, you know, the kind of diverse backpacker, slow traveler that was there, both domestic and international, pre-COVID has not picked up yet. You know, it's this very packaged tourist, the foreign traveler is very, very limited. They're still, I think, a bit wary about coming into India, you know, it might pick up only in 23, you know, the quality backpackers, the European backpackers that come in. Uh, mm. That hasn't really picked up as yet, and even the domestic travelers, more you know, those really crunched up uh, packages, fast moving packages, eight days and six days, and you cover the whole of Spiti kind of thing. Mm. You know, yeah. so that's the kind of traveler that's coming in, and unfortunately, not very uh, culturally sensitive, or uh, you know, really wanting to understand the place. It's it's more about uh, you know just clicking selfies and posting on Instagram kind of.
0: Yeah, tourism
1: that's coming into the area now and that seems to be across because anyone that I do speak to are facing similar challenges you know so it's not just in Spiti it's it seems to be across at least Himachal you know everyone that I've spoken to in Himachal seems to be facing a similar issue
0: And, okay, yeah, I I think for international tourists, uh, it's also, you know, visas. I mean, uh, the price of uh, flights have just escalated. Visas are not being issued, I suppose. There's so much uh, uncertainty for them to invest in a, you know, a holiday that they know they're guaranteed to even reach now because things are just difficult. Yeah. What do you think? the scales for ecosphere you know what initiative or practice that you adopted made it such a success story so i mean it's been a journey you
1: know it's been challenging over the years as well i've uh you know we started off as a typical ngo dependent on grants and donations and things coming in you know and somewhere along the line we realized that uh you know it's, it's not very sustainable especially when you're working in a remote area like spiti you know, to be dependent on an outside grant coming in. So that's when we started looking at the model of a social enterprise, you know, where we could try and self-generate our own revenue, which could then go into projects that were of a requirement and need in the area, you know, because if you're dependent on grants or donations coming in then you know, it's very hard to find uh, often donations or grants for things that are required on the ground. You know, everyone has their own certain specific areas that they want to support. But that might not be a need or a requirement in Spiti, you know. Mm -hmm. And so that's what then led us to start looking at, uh, you know, a social enterprise model, which would then give us, you know, slight independence as well as sustainability. And um, over the years, so like the first project that we worked on was Seabuck And then we started looking at tourism. You know, like how could we ensure that the tourism coming into the valley could benefit the area and the local community, you know, that it will not go out and just, you know, destroy the cultural heritage, destroy the natural environment. So we started looking at that. And that's when we developed homestays. And now, of course, the homestays have really picked up across city, and they're doing very well. And it's become a direct source of income for the local community. You know, because usually, usually if you look at most tourist destinations, you'll see uh, guest houses coming up and it's usually the richer person in the village that can afford that guest house. You know, so it just creates a larger divide between, you know, the people that have the money and the people that don't, you know, while in a homestay, you can just start a homestay. Just a spare room is required. So rich or poor, anyone can like, you know, have people coming and staying and hence, you know, earning a livelihood from travelers coming in so that model really picked up and now has spread across spiti you yeah. know and you'll you go to any village and you'll see homestays there like i was mentioning earlier as well in Gaza as well el- el- almost every house is now a homestay <laughs> you know mm. so in that sense at least the money is going directly you know to the local community the residents yeah. of spiti and and that also was uh, you know the to the when we started working on tourism you know that also Because we were in touch with travelers to try and promote the homestays. And uh, a traveler, of course, wants to experience a homestay, but not necessarily every day of their time in Spiti. So we developed entire programs around these, you know, homestays. And started marketing that, you know, so that people would, you know, get to know about homestays and start going to these homestays. And in the process, then, you know, we basically kind of like that became our uh, enterprise model as well, where we started generating some amount of revenue through that, which we then, uh, you know, helped us support the different projects that we were working on on the ground in Spiti as well. So that's how our transition happened as well. And now, I mean, uh, we've been working and operating like this for over. You know, it's almost 15 years now. And uh, yeah, it's been working pretty well for us, you know, or whatever, like, you know, the projects we're working on that we feel are of relevance. We are able to support those and replicate those across piti So oh, yeah.
0: Yeah, that's really been a great journey. <laughs> Even in uh, Uttarakhand, almost every home is a homestay. I mean, if you uh, drive down a road and the okay. homestays of all okay. sizes, all. but I also feel it brings a uh, tourist, uh, gives them a different cultural experience rather than staying in a standard hotel, you know, whatever class. Right. Of yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't know if this is a repeat question, but uh, what are the challenges you face today that perhaps weren't a big deal before, you know, and how do you mitigate these? So, I mean, if you look at it specifically in terms of tourism, for instance,
1: you know, there were a lot of, uh, I mean, there are a lot of challenges now in general. I mean, you know, if you don't look at it ecosphere specific, but we look at more on like the region specific. You know there is a lot of uh, impact that tourism now is happening is having on the area because Spiti suddenly like you know opened up, you know suddenly came onto the radar of a lot of people. So we in the past four or five years we've seen like a huge influx of travelers coming in, and of course with that there is a huge amount of garbage generation that's happening, you know in Spiti. And, uh, the the, I mean, the garbage dump was like a small little tiny thing has now grown into like a huge humongous garbage dumping area, you know, which is very sad to see. Mm. And uh, the other thing is, you know, what is now becoming a challenge, especially in places, the urban centers, which are the tourist hubs, is um, water. You know, this year was a really bad year in general for Spiti in terms of water. We didn't have adequate snow. And uh, so the crops have practically failed in most of the villages in Spiti. And to top that up, then we have, you know, like a huge influx of travelers coming into Gaza. And like I said, over a 100 hotels now, which are all uh, very water intensive uh, hotels. And as a result, there is no water now in Gaza that these in the supply line, we hardly have any water coming in. So every hotel has to buy water, which comes in from the neighboring villages. You know, if you happen to have a vehicle, then you send the vehicle out with a tank every day, you know, just to ferry in water. And, you know, some hotels have to do this like four to five times a day just to bring in water. You know, so this is a huge rising challenge now in city because, I mean, even the government has plans of tapping into the groundwater. But the point is, even if they do do that, and it'll be a temporary solution to the water problem. Because eventually the groundwater will deplete because at the rate that it's being, it'll be sucked out. We'll not be able to recharge because we're not getting the kind of snow that we used to get yeah. in earlier years. Yeah. You know, yeah. mm. and
0: also most of the villages don't even have piped water, right? So it's uh, has yeah. To none
1: of the deep. villages have piped water as such. It's yeah, a, in Kaza really, as well. Yeah, it's, it's only. Right, yeah. In Gaza as well, it's only the hotels that have like a piped water supply coming in. Otherwise, even the the homes still now do not have uh, piped water. They still have like a, you know, like a common spaces where you have to go and fill up your bucket or fill up your
0: can. Yeah, I like what you do mm. at Spiti Ecosphere in terms of uh, encouraging people to bring refill bottles and you supply water. Is that still on?
1: Yeah. Yes, yes, that is still on. We set up like water refill points at some of the key destinations in Spiti oh, as okay. well. And we've been, you know, offering free filtered water for donkeys of years, like over maybe 10, 12 years now at Seoul Cafe and at Taste of Spiti in Kaza, you know. And we've had a lot of people over the years coming in to refill the bottles, especially foreign, you know, international travelers, because, right. uh, you know, they are, uh, more sensitive about these issues as opposed to the domestic traveler even now you know so they do come in regularly to fill up we've also set these up at key monastery dunker monastery and up in comic you know which are visited by travelers so to try and encourage travelers to refill as much as they can and then in 2017 we set up like a you know like a huge life-size installation made out of plastic bottles called i love spiti And, um, you know, to try and raise awareness about, you know, this rising issue. So, I mean, it's it's an ongoing challenge. It's an ongoing, um, you know, issue. And uh, there are people now as well working on issues like these, you know, to try and, uh, you know, sensitize the traveler about the impact that they have. But still, it's a very minuscule amount of traveler that's actually conscious about their footprint. Yeah. You know, most of them really don't care about uh, how you know, they throw but, their garbage or, But yeah. the
0: very fact, and it's such a simple and generous and, you know, uh, practical idea that you're, you know, letting people refill. I think that itself should tell mm-hmm. them something if they don't see it, you know, uh, that plastic bottles are not welcome in the desert uh, such high altitudes, also. I mean, it's crazy. That kind of a mindset or a background. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. True, true, true.
0: You know, you explained mm-hmm. how you went from being a donor supported uh, organization to a self supporting organization. Today, as we speak, uh, how many villages and lives are impacted by these initiatives? So over the
1: years, I mean, we've been here, uh, you know, been working on different initiatives in, in Spiti for the past 20 years. And it's been a gradual journey for us as well. We started with Seabog then went to look at, you know, community-based tourism and responsible travel. And then from there, we started looking at some of the other challenges in Spiti. For instance, uh, um, it gets very cold in the winter months out here, temperatures dip to minus 30 degrees here. You know, and you have to burn a lot of wood to stay warm. Uh, So we looked at how we could use the sun's heat and, you know, passive techniques, solar passive techniques. So we adapted their winter room so they could heat up using the sun's heat. We also looked at solar electrification because there's a lot of sunshine that we get here, even though it's very cold. Um, We looked at how we could use, uh, you know, the sun's warmth to grow vegetables. You know, so we developed um, local mud uh, greenhouses. Uh, so yeah, so I mean, you know, it's been over the years, it's been we've looked at various challenges and then how we could solve them. Another one of the problems that we've been working on recently is to do with water and you know, climate change. The groundwater is depleted, uh, depleting, springs are drying out. So we worked on building artificial glaciers and, you know, contour trenches to try and trap as much of the surface runoff and the snowfall to try and Absorb it into the groundwater so we can, uh, you know, try and recharge these springs, which are the lifeline for most of the villages in cities especially the highland villages. Uh, water is a big challenge. Like I mentioned, and drinking water in the winter months, you know, because of springs uh, drying out. They're also now freezing up in the winter months with reduced flow. As a result, people have to walk a lot more just to get drinking water in the winters. So we're trying to tap into springs, which have a good flow, you know, close to the riverbed usually, and pump that water up to the village. Because otherwise, it's like an arduous journey down for local communities in the thick of snow, you know, just to get a 20-liter can up on their backs. Um, so, yeah, so I mean, you know, so, so over the years living there, you understand what the challenges are. Another one of our initiatives is to do with healthcare. You know, and uh, we started working on oral health in Spiti. And just recently, we did an assessment in one of the schools. You know, we were thinking of putting sealants onto the kids' teeth, you know, to prevent, um, you know, the caries from setting onto the permanent teeth. And But unfortunately, that can only be done on caries-free teeth, you know. And we did uh, an assessment in a local school, and out of 60 students, only two kids were caries-free.
0: I'm not understanding this. What's this word
1: you're saying? Hmm. Caries? Yeah, uh, cavities. So, caries. Cavities, okay. Hmm. So, in Hmm. young kids, you can put in uh, what is called now, these days, they put in uh, sealants onto the tooth. Okay. And so that it creates a layer around the tooth so that the child's teeth does not get caries on it. Right? But it can only be done on teeth that that don't have any caries, that are cavity-free. So we were we held a camp recently in a school, and out of sixty kids that we assessed, only two kids didn't have cavities or caries in their
0: teeth.
1: Like. You know, so the oral health is really really bad. So now across city, we're holding a free dental camps you know, and we're going village to village because otherwise it's such an ignored area. People just ignore their oral, oral health. They don't brush their teeth. I mean, brushing twice a day is like the, it's unheard of. Once a day is also unheard of. People might brush their teeth once in a month at times or not at all. Yeah. You know, So by the time they've reached, the teeth has mm. all fallen off, you know, because they, they don't give any like, you know importance to it and it just decays out and then it just has to be taken off you know, the tooth. Most people in their 40s now require dentures, unfortunately.
0: I guess if it's, we it's had to same. carry our water to brush our teeth every day mm. from, I don't know, hike two miles for yeah, that. Yeah, I before. guess you could, you could associate
1: that, to that. So yeah, so I mean, you know, over the years, I mean, the kind of, um, we've been working on a wide range of uh, issues and initiatives. And Spiti, I mean, it's it's an it's about a population of about fifteen thousand people now.
0: Okay. Cool.
1: Uh, spread across about uh, you could say about sixty-five plus villages, you know.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: uh, we have, I would say, you know, done one of our initiatives. Yeah, one of our initiatives would has impacted, you know, the population in some way or the other. Yeah.
0: Right. How can we as individuals be better tourists? There is no ideal
1: tourist. Yeah, I think there is. I mean, ideal is a very difficult word. (laughs) There is no ideal tourist or an ideal person. I think we're all, you know, on a journey. And uh, but I think uh, I think in general, you know, if a traveler can, I think it pretty well sums it up to be like a, a responsible traveler, to be responsible about how you travel, to be sensitive, I would say. You know, to be conscious about what's the impact that you leave on the place. You know, how much are you taking out of the place? How much are you giving back? You know, to try and create like a balance with that, I would think, you know. And I mean, there are a lot of conscious travelers out there who really are mindful about um, how much garbage they generate. You know, when they go to an area, you know, try and minimize that. Um, you know, so like even simple things like, like what we've been trying to do is to encourage travelers to refill bottles, you know, to try and not buy so much of plastic bottles, you know, and also if you do buy garbage, if you do generate, uh, I mean, if you do buy bottles and, you know, chip packets and things like that to uh, be slightly mindful as to how you throw it. A lot of us Indians, unfortunately think that the entire roadside and the entire Himalayas or wherever you travel, you can just dump your garbage anywhere, you know? yeah so to be slightly more mindful as to where you you dump it you know right and And of course i mean it's pretty i tell people carry your garbage out with you (laughs) you know it's not always possible but yeah at least like find a dustbin and dump it in that yeah and also you know
0: Mm -hmm. what about uh, you know uh, tourist uh, interaction with uh, locals is there Is this something that needs to be improved or are they good about, you know, being respectful of locals and things like that?
1: So, yeah. So, I mean, I think that that is also a part and parcel of how one can travel slightly more mindfully. You know, a lot of people, okay, everyone, there are different tourists around, right? Some people are interested in local culture, some people are not. But even if you're not interested in local culture, at least, uh, you know, one can at least not disrespect the local culture. So at least to try and be mindful as to, you know, how much noise are you generating um, to not be rude, you know, to people from that area. So a lot of people, of course, w- would love to interact. And hence, you know, people like that go to homestays. And for them, it's an, a very enriching experience because then you're staying with a local family. You know, they're hosting you and people in the city are very, very hospitable you know but uh, not everyone not everyone wants that experience but that's what i you know i feel that even if you don't want that experience if you're not interested in local culture and things like that at least be respectful you know don't be rude don't be loud you know yeah yeah Yeah.
0: and and do you think uh you know community and government inputs are required in initiating low impact Tourism. I mean, you know, here we, we are. We we only have suggestions. Do uh, you think more laws are necessary instead of, you know, rules and signs?
1: Yeah, I think yeah. I mean, there are uh, there are policies, there are laws in place, you know, but there's very limit, little implementation of it. Okay. Definitely, I feel that these policies and laws could be enhanced. You know, for instance, in places like Spiti. You know, uh, and okay, Himachal, they have like a common uh, policy for homestays. It has to be, it has to have a room with an attached toilet with with hot and cold water, you know. Uh, mm. But in a place like Spiti, you know, that's not contextual. You know, if you're going to a homestay, you're staying in a local person's house, they don't have attached toilets even for themselves. You know, so to expect them to provide an attached toilet, which has running water, in the houses, they don't have running water, you yeah. know, and traditionally in city they had dry composting toilets. So you're forcing them to convert to, you know, flush toilets when there's not enough water for agriculture here. Right. You know, So definitely, I mean, you know, policies like these definitely need to be looked at, um, you know, contextually, you know, they need to be developed in a more contextual way, you know, and uh, of course, yeah, I mean, there are signboards that you see all over the place. But How many travelers really look at those signboards, which is telling you to travel in a certain way, don't throw your garbage. I mean, there need to be amenities that we provide, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, yes, there is a, at one level, you do need to raise awareness, you know, but at the other Mm -hmm. level, you need to have facilities which are well-maintained, you know, that travelers can use. So be it for dumping garbage, be it for, uh, you know, public utilities like toilets regularly, water refill points, you know, places like Himachal should have these all over or yes. even in the hills, it should be everywhere, you know, that, you know, now it just, it's just a norm to just go refill a bottle you know, yes. as opposed to buying one you know, and they have to be, the thing is that for a traveler, you know, I think if they're given a choice and with a, a lot of drilling into their head, they would finally you know, uh, start using these facilities, but yes. um, you know, there aren't these facilities and they're not well maintained
0: Right, Ecosphere is part of several networks like the Green Circuit. Uh, so could you mention mm. some more groups that you're part of and uh, you know, how, what do you achieve by working together with these groups? So, I mean, yeah, many
1: years ago, this was that we were part of the Green Circuit, you know, and I mean, the idea basically was it was like a uh, travel uh, or you know, enterprises similar to ours. You know who were trying to do, uh, you know, travel in a different way, in a more responsible, mindful manner, and we felt that if we would join hands, you know, then we'd have strength in numbers, you know, because otherwise it's uh, it's just like one person working in one remote part, like us in Spiti, then another person working in some remote part of Nepal, another one in Kerala, another one in Noresa. So we felt that you know we could you know share our learnings and the challenges, and then also try and uh, you know, join hands. To market, you know, these uh, various initiatives and uh, trips that we had, you know, on a common platform. Yeah. So that was the idea that initially, you know, led to the formation of the Green Circuit, you know. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's been uh, challenging in itself also, you know, especially during the COVID pandemic to stay in touch Mm -hmm. or, you know, to have regular, you know, meetings and updates and things like that. So, You know, we haven't been able to, you know, as such, uh, travel to the different areas or try and, uh, you know, uh, do it at the level that we wanted to. Understandable. So definitely, like, you know, yeah, these kind of platforms have been, are useful and very useful. But the pandemic has had its, uh, you know, impact on anything related to travel, including, you know, collaborations like these.
0: Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Now I'm going to ask you a personal question. <laughs> but I know mm-hmm. how they sort of know the answers, see how happy you are. How mm-hmm. is living uh, and working in Spiti change your life after all these years? You know, I
1: think, I mean, for me, it's been uh, a way of life, you know, because I came here when I was very young, you know, and uh, I was never really enamored by city life or doing like a regular nine to five job. And hence, when I did get the opportunity to come and work in Spiti, for me, it was something that I always wanted to do, to work in the hills, you know, and um, I think working here for so many years, it's 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 taught me a lot, definitely. There have been a lot of challenges along the way, especially working in a place like Spiti, you know, so far away and with uh, such limited infrastructure. So I think it's, I mean, for me, it's, it's um, made me into a much more patient, humble person, you know um and for me now going back to a city and uh, is this you know i can't even imagine life living in a big city so for me uh, this has now become a way of life for me and yeah. it has definitely you know changed me for to become a better person you know you don't yeah. think and you don't take things for granted which one often takes in city life you know especially at least the basic amenities you take for granted out here, even those basic things, you know, is a luxury. Yeah. You know, it's very yeah. common not to have electricity here for days on end, or water. You know, so so you adapt and you develop patience. And uh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, so what? it's it's. it's
0: hasn't reached pithi as yet. <laughs> no, no, Swiggy.
1: <laughs> Internet just came here last year, and that in itself has changed things. Yeah. drastically
0: No, I think you you live a very simple but uh, very fulfilling life, I think. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Of course, it has its challenges. Uh, My last question to you, and uh, I think this is important, but could you share a term, a word or a concept that's important to you and perhaps improve our understanding of what you do? It's hard to like put it all into like one word or a phrase. No, it can either know? be one and either a word or a concept or just what you believe. It needn't even be yeah. a word. Yeah. I I think I think for me,
1: you know, I I just feel that as individuals, as humans, as travelers, we need to be, you know, mindful basically of our day-to-day actions, you know, and that even encompasses like when we travel, you know. And I think it all just boils down to just trying to be a better person, you know, and that only comes from mindfulness, you know, being aware of the impact that we're having on another individual, another community, you know, the the environment, this earth on animals, you know, so how can we reduce the amount of impact and burden that we have on the outside, you know, Uh, and I think every individual has that choice that they can take you know we have a huge uh, we have a great power in our hands we can change things very easily you know if we just tweak our lives and be slightly more mindful you know so yeah. i think uh, yeah i would i would believe that you know i would i would hope that you know if more and more people became mindful of their choices of the way they travel of how they speak to people and uh, and try and build more kindness and compassion you know, I think automatically the world would become a much better place.
0: Right. I like the way you said, yeah. just tweak it with a tweak your life with a little <laughs> mindfulness. It makes it sound easier than it actually is. <laughs> I even like one like small little thing every day, if one can just do one <laughs> small little thing, you know, change one small little
1: thing, you know, be slightly more mindful in your yes. workplace or in... Uh, how you brush your teeth if you put the tap off when you brush your teeth that in itself is being mindful and not wasting water right even like small little things if everyone starts doing small little things you know it, it it'll have a huge impact because look at our population right yeah. and if everyone starts doing even one tiny little thing and uh, being more mindful of their impact or being more mindful of how they live you know i think it will spiral
0: into a huge impact absolutely i was just teasing you but i like the word (laughs) a tweak of mindfulness thank you so much ishita it is so good thank you lalita it was lovely hey i hope you enjoyed this episode of heart of conservation the transcript for this episode will soon be available on my blog called earthy matters do check out the spithy ecosphere website especially the list of awards they've won for ecotourism In the meanwhile, be mindful. I'll catch you next time. Bye.